0: Opportunity zones may just be the perfect vehicle to deliver economic relief to the area's hardest hit by the coronavirus pandemic. But how can the incentive be expanded to further catalyze the recovery effort? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the opportunity funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Hey, one quick note before we begin today's episode. This interview was conducted prior to the IRS issuing Notice 2020-39. We do reference IRS Notice 2020-23, which extended certain 180-day deadlines to July 15th, 2020. This extension has been extended even further to December 31, 2020. Uh, We were unaware of this when we recorded this, so you may hear us referencing The need for additional relief for investors with respect to their 180 day deadline. Uh, Just know that we recorded this prior to that deadline getting further extended out to the end of this year. And now, without further ado, here's today's episode. Enjoy. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. COVID 19 has turned the world upside down, but can Opportunity Zones provide relief? Blake Christian is a CPA and partner at HCVT, a regional accounting firm with offices across the Western United States. He joins us today from his home office in Park City, Utah. Blake, thanks for joining the show. Welcome.
1: Glad to be here, Jimmy. Thank you.
0: Absolutely, Blake. I've uh, been trying to get you on the show for a while now, so glad uh, glad we're, our schedule's finally lined up and, and we can get some of your insights today. So I know you have a lot of great ideas on expanding some of the provisions of the Opportunity Zone incentive to help with our nation's COVID-19 relief efforts. Why do you feel like the Opportunity Zone incentive is the perfect platform for catalyzing such relief?
1: Well, what we have here, you know, is, is uh, a program that's been out for two and a half years, roughly. Uh, it covers the entire nation, uh, as well as um, our territories. And it already includes uh the census tracts that are in economically challenged areas. And uh, there's going to be, you know, I would guess, you know, probably 80% of the spikes in unemployment are going to be in these uh, economic uh, regions that are already part of the Oz program. So I, I think it's, uh, for that reason, it's a, it's a great platform to to start the recovery.
0: Right, Blake. So the ideas that you have for you know, the Opportunity Zone incentive providing relief for COVID-19 could be even more beneficial if the incentive was expanded somewhat. And you recently wrote a paper that goes into detail on six different ideas you have to expand the incentive. I'm just going to list them off one by one here very briefly, and then I'd like us to dive into each of these six. So number one, you'd like to expand the Opportunity Zone program to be more beneficial to small business. Number two, you'd like to give an extension of time to fund a QOF, so, so change those, those deadlines um, for QOF funding. Number three, you'd like to allow for after-tax non-capital gain investments to be able to secure some limited opportunity zone benefits. So that's, that's a really interesting one because currently only capital gains money is eligible to receive the benefits, but this your idea here would expand that to non-capital gain as well. Uh, Your fourth idea is you'd like to expand upon the number of opportunity zones. Uh, You know, currently we have 8,700 and change opportunity zones, but actually if we were to expand that even further, and I'll have to ask you about, you know, how many more you think might be necessary there when we get into that one. Uh, Number five, loan interest exclusion provided to qualified opportunity zone businesses or QOZBs. And then sixth and final is you have an idea for a payroll tax exemption for QOZBs as well. So, Blake, if you wouldn't mind, can you kind of walk us through each one of those six points in more detail?
1: Sure. And uh, so the first one uh, that would be a little more expansive for for qualified small businesses, uh, I'm really uh, – my starting point there, uh, Representative uh, John Curtis, a congressman out of Provo, Utah, has a uh, a bill uh, not numbered yet, or I would give that to you. Uh, and so he his office had come up with a plan to allow any uh, small business, in, you know, and and he had set a, a gross revenue annual gross revenue um, limit of a million dollars. I've talked to his office. I, I told them, you know, you got to bump that up. You know, that that wouldn't even cover a lot of liquor stores. So, um, you know, let's bump that up to, you know, I, I say $10 million. And so any business under $10 million of annual revenue, uh, regardless of where they are, could take Opportunity Zone funds, regardless of whether they were in an auto census tract or not, uh, because, you know, those those small businesses are the ones that are going to have some real real challenges uh restarting and surviving uh the the estimate is that restaurants uh probably 50 percent uh will close or or never reopen so it's it's pretty ugly in that real small business they don't have a lot of access to capital they don't have um um you know I- any type of reserve so this w- this would be a um, very beneficial to those small businesses
0: and, and is your idea there that, that those would have to be wrapped in a qualified opportunity fund as well, or would they just be able to automatically access some of the the tax benefits of of receiving capital?
1: No, they, they would. They would. Uh, that would apply to the extent uh, an opportunity zone fund a QOF uh, invested funds into them.
0: Okay, so essentially, it's it's relaxing the some of the restrictions on on geographic limitations on on qualified opportunity fund investments a, a a small business located outside of an opportunity zone would would satisfy the uh the the asset test requirement either at the the 90% level or the 70% level I suppose depending on on which entity within the fund held the uh non opportunity zone qualifying small business is that right
1: That's correct. And and there you know the congressman has, you know, certainly received some pushback uh, because of, uh, you know, now stepping outside the uh, the boundaries of the Opportunity Zone um, um, program. Uh, but again, I, I think there's such a need for that. It, this would be an easy add-on, obviously, you know, t- going to take congressional action. Uh, we may not see them be as open-minded. And if not, Uh, I think we can, we've got a a plan B that we'll, um, we can discuss another time.
0: (laughs) All right. Sounds good. I might have to have you on again some, some other time then. Uh, Do we want to move on to our second point there, the extension of time to fund a QOF? What what do you mean by that one?
1: Yeah. So, so we did, you know, we do have some relief. Um, IRS notice uh, um, 2020-23 allowed um, a July 15th 2020 uh, funding date which is which is beyond the the what it would have otherwise been the June uh June 27th uh, date the the um but that doesn't give you you know many you know get, you know it's only a couple of weeks so it's not real beneficial and uh, in a lot of the other areas uh like 1031 uh, based on a, a, a 2018 um revenue procedure uh they, they generally have had a an extension until a, a period after the um natural disaster deg- designation was lifted and so my proposal is is uh that there be an extension of the lesser of 180 days from the current regulatory deadline uh beyond that or 90 days after the end the COVID-19 natural disaster designation was lifted. Um we could either do that nationally or you could do it based on, you know, where they uh where they were formed or whether QOZB is located. But um th- that that should be an easy one and uh you know, with all the uncertainty it it causes people to not make decisions. And so I think this is a a very reasonable extension. Uh the ABA is also asking for a similar extension of time.
0: Yeah, that would help a lot. That would, that would give investors a lot more time to be able to figure out how to allocate their money. And the, the economic times are very uncertain. So yeah, certainly any, any extension on the timelines. I think a 180-day timeline makes sense uh, under regular economic conditions. But with what we're seeing now, I, I, I agree. An extra uh, 90 days or 180 days, depending on the case, would, would be very much welcome. Uh anything else to add there or should we move on to the, the third point that you that you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, so so number three is uh to allow um investments of capital uh that but they wouldn't have to be capital gain deferral. And uh I probably get, you know, four to five calls a week uh asking, you know, why why that is not part of the statute. And um, and so my my proposal is uh, to to allow those funds to be invested, and we wouldn't get the basis bumps at, at the the five and seven year, but we would get a uh, an exemption at the end. But it would only be fifty percent exemption of the gain, and so that would be a little bit watered down. But there there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines, uh, people with cash, but they you know, they, for one reason or another, they just don't have large capital gains to um, deploy into the fund. So th- this would allow new capital, you know, come into the stack and, uh, and be invested. Uh, it only costs the government half, half the cost of the capital gain rollover, and they're not even getting a deferral. So um, it's, I, I think it's a win-win on, um, on, um, on the program.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I like that one quite a bit. I, I Already, you are able to do that. You can bring non-capital gain into the stack, but um, it's not eligible for any of the favorable tra- tax treatment, of course. So you're not incentivizing that capital to flow in, really. I'm going to put you on the spot here now. Like, if, if this were to go through like you would like it to, just as you described, how much more additional capital would you expect? To flow into opportunity zones over the over the lifetime of the program, would this be like a uh, like a five percent bump, or would it double the amount of money coming in, or <laughs> some somewhere in that range? What yeah. What do you think?
1: Yeah, and I, and I'm 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 you know really estimating, but I, I think when the dust settled, I, I would not be surprised that at least a third of the total funding would come from after tax dollars going into the program.
0: So a fifty percent increase, if I did my math right, there. Yeah, that that would be that would be impressive. that would That would certainly help a lot. Let's move on to that that fourth one. Unless you had anyone else any any other points to make on on number three, but that fourth one is uh, to actually expand the number of opportunity zones, or the number of census tracts designated as opportunity zones. I should say.
1: Yeah, and if and if I could only pick one out of the out of my six, I'd probably pick this one, um, and, because this this would let us, you know, really target. The program even more than it already has. You have to remember um, the you know the program was was launched at the end of 2017, effective date of January 1st, 2018, and the governors were saddled with picking the applicable census tracts by April 1st. That was my is my recollection, but april of 2018 so and and to tell you the truth a lot of the governors and and their um their minions you know didn't really know exactly how the program worked and uh so they they picked census tracts and i've i've talked to a lot of you know government agencies they picked census tracts um based on you know you know criteria that you know, ended up not being great for economic development. They they thought they were, you know, some thought they were trying to help the residents there and, uh, you know, they didn't really have an understanding of the program. So my proposal on this point is let every state increase their census tracts by 20%. So, you know, it's it kind of fair across the board. No state's getting a, any advantage. and. Um, and the criteria that the governors would have to pick from would be the h- highest spiking unemployment rate uh, for uh the, the surrounding area. And so they would they would you know go from the, the highest unemployment rate um and that would you know that would be their um their population of, of uh census tract to choose. And then the second criteria would be, uh, maybe it would be mandated, but they would be highly encouraged to pick uh, census tracts that were adjacent to existing uh, census tracts. The reason for that is I wouldn't want to have some island, one census tract, you know, four miles down the road from a cluster of three others. You know, let's let's kind of build on what's already there. Um but I think this would allow uh the governors to kind of surgically fine tune the uh, geographic um uh census tracts uh and and they've got two and a half years under their belt to see where you know money's kind of starting to come in and so it it's it's a great time to do something like this and um so anyway thats that's my other you know, and I think my my most critical of the six would be this one.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great one because, as you point out, when they made these designations more than two years ago now, yeah, they were working with a lot of incomplete knowledge of the program, and now everybody has everyone's so much more educated on on this tax incentive and. There's a lot more information out there. The regulations are final, right? Uh, so in a way, giving the governor's offices uh, almost like a mulligan, uh, any 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 opportunity zones they regret, I'm sorry, any census tracts that they regret not designating opportunity zones this is their chance to kind of fix those problems. I think that's a great one.
1: And that's a great point. I, I should have brought that up. Uh, I, I, I don't have that in my proposal, but that is actually very important, is that uh, to allow Governors to um, to to swap out uh, a census tract. Now I, again, I, I'd have to think about that. Uh, we'd all have to think about that because there may already be a project going in there. But maybe you freeze that one and then move it over to another one and say, you know, only projects that are underway in that census tract that you have your entitlements or something can move forward. Otherwise, you know, we're moving it over here.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting idea also. Uh, yeah, so it's definitely, definitely a neat idea to, to try to expand the program and and throw some more communities into the mix that, that might desperately need the capital as well. Uh, so, Blake, your last two ideas here, numbers five and six, both deal with uh, providing some exemptions or exclusions for qualified opportunity zone businesses. So can you walk us through both of those now, maybe?
1: Right, so... Uh so so one one of the frustrations with the program and, and believe me overall i you know i love this program i think it's very well designed but uh again when you're putting your 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 you know financing capital stack together to finance these bigger projects um there's no incentive at all on the debt side it's all uh equity driven and so uh and i'm stealing from the california uh former california enterprise zone program that had a tax exemption for loans to uh, enterprise zone businesses. Um, and so, uh, you know, ba- basically what you do is you, you know, you're now you're incentivizing uh, investors that uh, just want a debt uh, return to, um, to take a lower interest rate uh, because they're going to get. A tax exempt return on it, and so uh that that can bring the overall cost of the project down and again keeping in mind these are these are the you know pretty economically challenged areas that uh people are are making investments in in the opportunity zones so this the this, uh, this is basically like a synthetic uh municipal bond if you will, and so uh, again the lender gets gets tax free treatment on it uh doesn't demand as high an interest rate because on an after-tax basis he's still walking with a, a healthy return and then the um opportunity zone project gets a lower overall cost of, of funds on the project and then the fi the final one is uh just you know again I, i'm probably stealing a little bit from the cares act but um uh, i'm taking it one step further and allowing both the employer and the employee to um, uh, to have an exemption for uh, the first twelve months of salaries paid to an employee uh, that resides in a, an Oz census tract, and it doesn't have to be the same Oz census tract that he works in, he or she works in. But uh, and I'm keeping that you know the compensation on the low end, so up the first forty eight thousand dollars. Of compensation would get a uh, a, FICA, a tax exemption, both the employee and the employer. So the employee walks with more cash at, at the end of every week or two week period, and the employer his cost of of hiring that person is reduced by you know seven to eight percent. And um, and so so anyway, again, just just trying to incentivize people to hire local. Um, and, uh, and also help out that, um, that person that lives in the census tract get a little better take-home pay. That's my, uh, my dream six.
0: Excellent. I, those, those would be a dream come true. That would do quite a bit to bolster the program. So, but dreams aside, what's the appetite in Washington for making these changes? You mentioned you were working with, uh, one representative on, on at least one or two of these, but what, how how does this actually become reality then what's what's the next steps for for pushing this through congress some of these ideas
1: right well i'm i'm also reaching out to to um, senator scott's office in
0: um, north south carolina
1: and um, uh he he submitted on may 4th uh a, a list of 10 uh i didn't get to him quite in time but uh he he had uh, has a list uh, uh anybody that once the letter you can go online or um, or contact me but um, you know it, most of them range uh, similarly you know, extensions some relief from the 90% uh, qualified asset test um, uh, 12-month extension for uh, the substantial improvement test some of some of that is already uh, kind of baked into um, to, to the uh, IRS uh, notice 20-23, but um, but there's still because of the way that the um, emergency designation was announced, there's still a little bit of gray on whether that's going to kick in some of these 12 and 24 month extensions. So um, so he wants to be a little more specific in that. But uh, so anyway, there, I I think I think there's. There's some open-mindedness. There's still a lot of bipartisan, uh, views of the opportunity zone program. But at the end of the day, uh, this is helping the, 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 the hardest hit, you know, and, and really if you, if you step back, the hardest hit in, in, in across the country is the hospitality industry. And, uh, a lot of those people, a lot of those restaurants are, are in these opportunity zones or near them. And so um, I, I think beefing up the program um, is the is this is the right time to do it. And I, th- I think there's an appetite in Congress to do something uh, uh, like this. Uh, and, and you know why why start some other you know completely no new program where it's a hiring credit or something? Just build it right into this.
0: Yeah, and the, another benefit of this is it's not just telling the Treasury Department to fire up the printing presses right away, right? Right. It's actually incentivizing uh, private capital flowing into these areas. I uh, want to pivot now, Blake, and uh, talk with you a little bit about public-private partnerships and, and economic development agencies. You're currently engaged with a few economic development agencies and municipalities in the Southern California area. And obviously, municipalities have a lot of opportunity zone assets and, and a lot of skin in the game, so to speak. What are you seeing them doing out there how how are they using the opportunity zone incentive
1: so um you know I, i'm working with two two large counties in southern california and then a, and then a city and then i'm also working um with a, a new client in uh baltimore area and um and what what i'm seeing is um you know they're they're still you know it took them probably a, a year year and a half to really Fully understand the program and things, and so they're they're trying to use it. Um, you know, I would say fifty percent for revitalization of uh, of certain you know poor areas, and then the other half, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with it, is is and a you know business attraction, and uh, but but they're also trying to be very sensitive to not. Um, you know, not destroy the culture and things of of the neighborhoods that they're trying to to uh, revitalize. So it's it's kind of a a fine line. They're they're engaging the residents there. Um, in a in a couple of situations, we've had uh, the residents uh, view the opportunity zone program very negatively. So there's you know some education outreach, uh, and the other you know the one of the simplest ways to use it is uh, there can be there can be you know public private partnership where you you can do an infrastructure project uh, probably the you know the best illustration is if somebody wanted to do a uh, a small solar farm you know let's let's say a municipality wanted to put a you know solar farm um, uh, facility into a neighborhood well, that would be a perfect one where you know the opportunity zone could um, invest those funds. They would have to use some leverage, so they would create bases in the um, you know in the in the quof um, and the QOZB, so that those those uh, write-offs of of the the personal assets under the bonus depreciation rules would flow out. Uh, so there there'd be some upfront. Uh, tax advantages, and then um, the, um, you know, the municipality would, uh, you know, they pay, uh, pay, pay for um, the, you know, parts of the infrastructure, like, you know, they, they would, they probably already own the land, they would pay for parts of it, but more of the tangible personality fee that can get expense real quickly would be purchased by the, uh, the Oz Fund. And then they can have a you know an exit plan in year 10, 11, and uh, with basically a guaranteed return. And so it kind of kind of you know from a cash flow standpoint, kind of looks like a a bond return for the uh, the investors, and then a tax-free gain at the end. And then that municipality ends up owning it, uh, after that period. And it may, it could run a lot longer than the 10 years. It just depends on how the numbers play out. But, um, that's just, that's just one example that we've looked at. We've looked at water treatment plants, uh, in opportunity zones. And, um, so there's, there's, you know, it's pretty unlimited, but, but then I, once in a while, I'll get a call from, from somebody and they'll say, hey, you know, we want to repave these streets. And I'm going, yeah, that one's not going to work so well. But, you know, if, if you have uh, some, some high cost, uh, you know, technology investments and things, it can, it can work out uh, well for both sides.
0: What about a toll road? Would that work potentially?
1: You know, a toll road, uh, that could, you know, <laughs>
0: the problem is... You mentioned, you mentioned paving streets and that just popped into my head. I was just curious about that.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny. I I years gosh, 20 years ago, I, I worked on a actually a French company that had a, did did a lot of this stuff all over the world. Did a did a bunch of uh, toll roads in Southern California, which is a new concept. Obviously, very common in the, on the East Coast. But um, yeah, that that could that could be, um, you know, yeah, the infrastructure cost of uh, the gates and things. If they just happen to happen to, you know. If
0: you could put them in a census tract, that, that could work. That's interesting. Only have the, uh, the checkpoints or the gates in, in, in the opportunity zones. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a goofy example.
1: No, Well, it, 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 I, actually, I like the example. You just have to, you just have to happen to have a, a census tract that uh, straddles a freeway.
0: Um, or a future free one. yeah well as, well as as exactly well as you said there's there's virtually no limitation to uh some of the ideas right uh um, right what what are what are some projects that you've been working on blake just just over the past uh few months here since the covid19 pandemic hit I, I know you've been busy working on on quite a few maybe you can highlight a few of uh a few of your favorites
1: yeah we we set up uh a little over 30 at the, you know, in 2019. And then, um, you know, the first start of the year, you know, we we were probably setting up, you know, two to three a month. Uh, I I will tell you, you know, in the last month and a half, I'm probably setting up two to three a week. So the interest is, is, you know, is spiking despite all the uncertainty um you know i i had one of my clients bought a um recently bought a hospital uh to you know a couple of buildings are are in opportunity zones uh he's um gonna gonna do some covid related things with that um so that one that was you know very timely um i have a um U- utah uh does not have a legalized marijuana system but uh they're uh, i'm working with a uh, medical marijuana uh, grower distributor that um, uh, will probably have their retail facility in an opportunity zone um working with uh a agricultural company in uh, central california that uh, is making olive oil and so they're using this to expand their facility and um, that that's you know this one works pretty perfectly for that one Um, have a um, couple couple of people that are are doing solar projects and uh and then on the East Coast, uh a kind of a WeWorks um, um format, uh working space, uh, it's a very large one, but uh central to um a big big redevelopment project. And uh that, that one is um just has a whole lot of elements that checks, you know, probably half the box that you know, economic development people are looking for, you know, it's incubator, um, it's, um, you know, workforce development, it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit of everything, but,
0: uh, and, and what
1: I found, oh, and then, and then back in Long Beach, um, we're um, working with a group that's uh, developing a, what we'd call a ghost kitchen that um, will have 20 kitchen facilities for people that are interested in, uh, you know, food service, uh, catering, but don't really want the the financial burden of having a restaurant. And so a couple, a few of these things actually work out, you know, they were already in the works, but because of COVID, they're, they're really more attractive projects now, like the ghost kitchen, you know, with, with the closure of so many restaurants, a lot of those business owners are still, they still have a huge following of, of clientele. And so some of them will move to the, probably the ghost kitchen. They won't have the burden of the high rent and all the employees, but they can still get their food out to the public. You know, it might be with via Uber Eats or, you know, they might eat on the rooftop, et cetera. So some really interesting projects. I, you know, COVID's not a good thing. But I, I have to tell you, from a business standpoint and an OZ standpoint, a lot of the projects—not the big real estate projects necessarily or an office building—but a lot of the projects I'm working on kind of got more attractive post post COVID.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, a good mix of business and real estate projects you're working on, and and I I can certainly see that silver lining that that you're seeing. Also, some some innovation. Has been catalyzed by by the crisis here. People have been forced to adapt and innovate. And yeah, that ghost kitchen idea certainly sounds uh, quite interesting. And I can see how this pandemic would have uh, in the and the stay-at-home orders and the closings of restaurants would would make that an even more attractive project. Of course. Uh we're we're kinda getting toward the end of our time here today, Blake, but you know, uh w- one one question I want to throw your way, I know you've got some some thoughts on this. I get asked this question a lot. I, I it's come up more and more over the past couple months, and I'm I'm sure you're hearing it a lot too. If with the election coming up in November, uh what if we have a change in administration? Um Trump's voted out, could do you think that the program could get thrown out? Could the Opportunity Zones program get, get thrown out or or tweaked substantially? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, and and you know, it has, you know, over the last year, even though it was a, a tremendously bipartisan um bill to begin with, uh, in drafting and, and approval, and it helps, you know, the you know, the very people that the, the Democrats would, you know, Champion the most, and and you know we like that aspect of it, but I, you know what what my response to that when people say oh well the you know we could you know Biden could just throw this whole program out, and you know and then they say what are you going to do about that I I say you know it's not going to be the rich people it's not going to be the billionaires that will be screaming at Biden and his administration it would be it's going to be thousands of of uh, mayors and um, 50 governors will be screaming at him because this, you know, even though it's a federal program, most states have adopted it. And governors and mayors love the program. I, I don't care if they're red or blue, they love the program, you know, hands down. So um, So this is kind of the last. Uh, economic development tool. A lot of states have, you know, California, for example, got rid of their redevelopment program. Other states have because of budget constraints. This, this is a great program to revitalize neighborhoods and help the poorest, um, you know, community members. So, you know, it's, it's not, not a good thing to throw out.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, Governor Newsom's a great example even right because uh, he's a democrat in a very blue state and in fact California's one of the last states that isn't even conforming with the program their state legislature hasn't passed any conformity legislation but Newsom's been a huge champion of the program all along so you know he he he's one of those 50 governors who would be very upset if there's any attempts to roll this back i'm 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 pretty hopeful that that uh, if Biden were voted into the white house that you know he he sees the benefits of the program i think and and i don't i don't know that they would be a a priority for his administration to to unwind it
1: right and, and you know you know to the final point on that though is the if that happened if you knew that the tax rates were going to go up in 2026 when you have to recognize your gain you know the program's easy you you pull the money out and you you tax it early um if you if if you're well invested in the pro and the project looks to be appreciating at a rapid rate then you let your money ride and you pay a higher higher capital gain rate but uh i i i just don't i they're they're not going to come in and say oh you don't get your tax-free gain after 10 years i mean i just that'll be the last time any put anybody puts any money into some government program <laughs>
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. you and I are on the same page there. I agree. And that's what I've been that's what I've been telling uh people asking me that question also. So, good to good to get your perspective on it as well. Well, Blake, it's been great talking with you today. Thanks for your perspectives on on uh, the opportunity zone tax incentive and how you feel like it could be expanded to help with the COVID-19 relief efforts in this country. This is been a great very insightful conversation so thanks for joining us today uh before we go though can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and hcvt
1: sure it, it probably the easiest is uh just go to our website www h as in harry c is in cat d is in victor t is in tom dot com and uh, we have an oz landing page and all of my contacts you know put my name in the um search bar, and um, you can find all the ways to contact me. I'm um, pretty easy to find.
0: Perfect. Yeah, you you are. And we'll make it even easier for our listeners because I'll, uh, I'll have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website for today's episode. And our listeners can go to opportunitydb.com slash podcast to find the links to all of the resources that Blake and I discussed on today's show. I'll be sure to link to the HCVT Opportunity Zone landing page and and some of the other resources we discussed here as well. So, Blake, again, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you for having me, Jimmy. And I I thank you for the quality of uh, all of your programming. I I listen to it and learn every time. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Blake.
0: I appreciate the kind words. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.